Blog Talk Radio. Comes on with us. We of course had Dwayne TV, 
assistant AD at K, uh, with all the responsibilities he has. And then former Cat legend quarterback Eric Ramsey is the AD at Coppin State. And then tonight, uh, Mark Spence will make third athletic director. So looking forward uh, to his perspective and insights and all the conversation to come with him. Before we jump into the conversation, I got to just get an update about you. I do it randomly. We get updates about you on different things. Uh, you know, both of us will talk about what's going on and, and uh, our day-to-day lives or something that's funny that we bring to the show or something like that. But I haven't got a, a hooping update from you in a while. We all know anybody that listens to the show, follows you on Twitter at T-Brown underscore 80. We know that you hoop and ball out week in and week out. So how did it go last night? Well, last night we were off. Uh, the the guy that kind of puts it all together, uh, Justin, it was his wife's birthday. So we didn't play last night. Uh, but last week I actually played pretty pretty darn good. Uh, I tell everybody, you know, Miss TB is a, is a physical therapist, so uh, she does everything she can to keep me upright. Uh, but actually feeling pretty good. I'm glad I'm able to get out there and uh, and play. Uh, usually every week, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm not ready to, you know, get a 10 day NBA contract, but I like uh, like getting out there and, and, and playing. I always look good. That's my thing. I look good. You know, playing good is optional, but always got to look good. Definitely, definitely. And and your jersey collection is pretty unmatched, especially among anybody I know. It's very extensive. Uh, very wide ranging. So uh, the fellas you play with, yep. they probably never seen you wear the same thing twice when you roll at the gym. Uh, the the only one I have rolled out. I mean, I've, we've been playing for years, so I've, I've repeated some. But the ones they noticed uh, last couple of weeks since Kobe announced his retirement, uh, I have not. I've worn the the Kobe jersey uh, number twenty four a couple of times. But other than that, I try to. I try to space them out. Um, the the one I really really like is uh, I got uh, Shaq on the Magic. That is a pretty good one. I like to to bring that one out uh, every now and then. That's a that's a good one. Yeah, just a variety. You just never cease to be amazed. Yeah, I you know you tweet out some of them. Pay homage uh, to some of my Houston Rockets. Uh, went the college route. Uh, NBA guys from your Lakers, various different teams. You run the gamut, and it's always fun. I know fun for them, and it's definitely fun for us who haven't been up there to hoop with you yet when you do tweet them out. So it's always good stuff. Well, um, I was going to say, some of the older ones that I have, some of the young guys that we get up there don't know who they are. Uh, <laughs> I've got Glenn Rice on the Heat, and the one that stumps everybody is Kenny Anderson on the net. That is the one mm. that, uh, and I'm like Kenny, Kenny Anderson, man. <laughs> so, so I, I take that opportunity to educate the uh, educate the guys a little bit. That's right, that's right. And of course, we got Dean coming on in a few minutes, but let's backtrack, and we'll definitely get more into this in between guests as well. But uh, Kentucky basketball was in action Saturday against Arizona State. You were there, and you're fast becoming a seasoned media professional. Uh, you covered the game. <laughs> so uh, give us your accounts of 
experiences and, and what you saw and what you, you know, were able to take note of uh, in the round rub and on the court against the Sun Devils? Well, you know, I, I get there early uh, to take it all in, to, to watch the guys shoot around and, and, and get loose uh, and everything. Um, that's always a fun thing to do if you uh, have a chance to do that. But uh, I liked what I saw uh, from the team. Uh, they're starting to get an identity. For my money, the, the best five as a unit uh, that we have right now is Briscoe, Euless, Murray, Poitras, and Lee. That's the that's the five that seems to be the most effective. Uh, I just I posted a piece today on Wildcat Blue Nation about Scal because that is the one thing everybody's harping on. You know, he only played 12, 13 minutes against Arizona State, fouled out, zero points, zero rebounds. And Cal said after the game that uh, you know he's going to work with him. Uh, a lot of people uh, forget that he he didn't play your typical. Uh, basketball the last couple of years. It was more kind of a recreational league instead of a, a structured uh, league like a lot of the other freshmen have. So he's still coming up to speed. I mean, we saw flashes uh, earlier in the season. Uh, he's got the talent. I think his footwork is, is some of the best work of a big man that I have seen uh, that Cal has brought in. So we just need to show a little bit of a patience. Uh, I really, really like Poitras being the beast that he's become, you know, that dunk, it was Sports Center top ten. Uh, but more than that, after he tweaked his knee, his non-surgically repaired knee, he came back and, and he, he got tough rebounds. He helped set the tone for that second half. Between his toughness and, and Euless having six assists and zero turnovers in the second half, that's what Kentucky needs to do to win. Uh, Bobby Hurley said after the game, the way they packed in the zone, uh, he was surprised that Jamal Murray was able to get into the Sun Devils zone. Uh, we've got three guys that can attack off the bounce and really force the issue. Uh, Murray had about three or four uh, assists. He got into the lane, dropped it off to Marcus Lee, and he got a layup. So there's some things that we're seeing that they're finally starting to learn how to play with each other. And, and having a first half like they did where they had to battle a little bit. You know, Arizona State was physical. Uh, they were tough. And the Wildcats had to answer the bell, and they did uh, in the second half. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm always kind of half uh, full kind of guy, and I know Scal uh, is going to get there. Uh, but with the way – uh, Cal stacks up the talent, you have a little bit of time to get there as well as the team winning. So uh, it was a good win. Uh, the lead got up to about 23 points, I think, in the second half. Uh, the Cats really showed what they've got. Um, so, like I said, with Scout, I'm not worried about that. We've got some time to get there. Uh, you know, people keep talking about this team's toughness. I, I think the team is tough, but uh, Scal has to learn how to play. Uh, Cal said after the game, Scal's got to learn how to bend his knees, how to play defense properly, and, and stop reaching. Because, you know, four of his fouls on uh, Saturday, he's, he's playing defense with his hands and not moving anything else. That's not going to get it done at the college level. 
And he's got to learn that. Uh, I think a, a quote that really stuck out with me with Cal was, he said, what got you here, me in Kentucky, won't get you there. Talking about to the next level. You know, he, Cal said he's done this before. He He's going to, you know, uh, it was a reference to uh, Briscoe's free throw shooting. Uh, if you're going to listen to me to improve, or are you going to be playing, you know, in a rec league in four or five years? Uh, so we know they've had some time to work, you know, with the Christmas break. Uh, there's the camp uh, Cal, and I think that, that Kenny Payne's going to work with Scal uh, like he's done with a lot of the big men that have come through, and Scal's going to learn how to use his body. He's not as big as Carl Anthony Towns or, or Cousins or even uh, Anthony Davis, uh, but he can still be effective. Uh, you and I know that Kevin Garnett, not necessarily the biggest and strongest guy, but he can still go out there and, and dominate a game, and Scal's just got to learn how to do that, and I, and I think he will. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a transition, and it's, you know, we are kind of spoiled. Everybody expects, you know, you see the, the top-ranked recruiting class, and even though, you know, succeed and proceed, you still kind of expect it's that immediate gratification. All right, well, they're here now. They're immediately going to dominate. And, oh, well, okay, we'll wait a few months, uh, and then the game will, you know, even with Carl Towns, even with Anthony Davis, it took a while. Um like I said, Scal's background is a little bit different, and everybody it clicks different for everybody. Um, his transition may be uh, the incline for him to reach his ceiling may be a little steeper than all those other guys. But uh, when it's all said and done, you know, the talent is there. We've seen flashes. I believe he will be fine. Uh, so you know, just and and just ripping him—that's not doing anything. I mean, it, he no doubt he's frustrated. He doesn't want to struggle and, you know, mm-hmm. not come in and, and play like he's uh, capable of playing or expects to play. No doubt the same for him. I mean, the coaches, everybody. Uh, so, you know, he's he's working hard. We just got to we just got to roll with it. Yeah, and and we've got to trust the process. Uh, we keep saying it, you know, every show. The team that Cal has in. Uh, November and early December is not the team that will take into the NCAA tournament. You know, the the Cats, they're going to get tested. You know, we've got games coming up where they're going to continue to be tested. And it's all about how they uh, adjust and, and, and learn from it. And I think with uh, Poitras and Lee being those leaders, uh, uh, and 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 Ulysses, don't don't let me forget the little general. Uh, I, I've I've got zero worries that Scal's going to be where he needs to be, uh, because even though he hasn't really put up numbers here lately, look at the double doubles that that Lee and that Poitras have put up. You know, Poitras had two double doubles in his career. Now he's at three this season. He's answering the bell, and and if you look at him play, he's back. That dunk he had against Arizona State wasn't a play he could even have made against Duke early in the season. So he's back. He's playing hard. And the one thing I really like is he's got a 
he's getting a post game together, which I think adds another dimension to what he can do to take a little bit of that pressure off of Scal uh, as well. So I think for for Kentucky fans to kind of get on the what's wrong with Scal, that's borrowing trouble you don't need to. I don't think there's a better coach in the country that looks at the pieces on his team and figures out how to maximize what they do well. You know, we, we've talked about the adjustments he made in 2011, you know, when they started running that pick-and-roll offense with Brandon Knight and Josh Harrelson uh, and, and rode that to the Final Four. The tweak, uh, which in my mind was just bringing Julius Randle, you know, in that 2014 year, kind of putting him, instead of the post, you put him at the high post where he can face up and do some things. Uh, those little changes, I don't think there's a coach in America that, that kind of does it on the fly like Cal. Uh, so that's what just leads me to believe whatever these guys do best, that's what Cal's going to ask them to do. Definitely. And and not being afraid to adjust or, or change what you thought was going to work from the get-go. Uh, on the call-in show, this was Monday night. You know, Cal's still saying we still haven't figured this team out. And that's something uh, that is more frequent when you have uh, guys who are coming in for potentially one year. That will be the case um, more frequently year in and year out. But they don't stop trying to figure it out, trying to tinker, trying to explore every option. Uh, leave no stone unturned uh, when it comes to maximizing uh, everybody's best effort and, and getting everybody there at the same time, you know, uh, getting Murray where he needs to be, trying to get his shot selection right, uh, getting Scal acclimated to college basketball and playing in the post and just kind of how to react or what to do, what, where to be, bend your knees, dive on the floor, the, the things that you just do without thinking that he's still kind of, you know, grasped it because of his limited basketball foundation, you know. So getting all that up to speed to go with the flash of skills that we've seen, um, you know, it's all having to be coordinated, uh, and that's what, you know, they're all doing, getting the big men coordinated, working on Derek Willis' confidence. He's playing better, trying to get him to play some defense. They talked last week about Michael Motor. He's still adjusting. Uh, and, of course, with the three-point shooting not being where everybody thought maybe it would be, everybody wonders, well, why isn't he out there? He's still having to find his way. Uh, they say there are some minutes to be had for him, but he has to be brought along as well. He has to make that transition uh, just like all the rest of the guys. Speaking of transition, we'll transition real quick because our first guest on the line, and that would be Vince Ken Smith, who covers – uh, UK football and UK women's basketball for the Herald Leader. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on our show with all that you had going on with the kids being sick and the husband being sick. <laughs> Thanks for hopping on our show anyway. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I just had my second son come down with a stomach bug in the last two hours, so we just can't win at my house these, day, these days. Oh, my goodness. Um well, it's definitely been there. Got the kids about your age, so that's you know having the you know those nights where there's upset tummies and all that. I know you know the drill. Terry's got two girls. I know he knows the drill as well. So we've all been there. You know, and we, we sympathize with. You. 
it sort of feels like, I don't know, like The Walking Dead or something. Like, I know they're coming, it's coming for me, but I haven't hit it yet. So I'm just, like, waiting to get sick. It's <laughs> <laughs> that, the When the one gets sick, you have to try to isolate as much as you can. Because you're like, you, you want to take care of them, but you don't want everybody else to get sick. So I understand how that goes. Yes. Yes. I'm the last one and, standing. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Say a prayer for me. <laughs> and with you saying that now, you say you're just kind of waiting. I think once you get to that that mental mindset, then your mind starts going ahead and, uh oh, do I am I aching or do I, is is there phlegm in my chest? You know that. So yep. Uh, definitely hope you can ward off and, and keep your resistance up. I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> um. I heard you on the Leech Report this morning, and to go last week I heard you as well, and last week you were the only one that I could hear because we couldn't hear Tom, and I told you about it from the show. I'm all for you hosting the show. It should happen again. When Tom goes on these road trips, he has feeling, guys. You know, Ryan Lemon and, you know, T.J. Bison and all those guys. I'm looking forward to hearing you next time he's, you know, away. You know, I'm I just – I don't think I'm built for – talking that much. I like to write a lot and I like to talk about other stuff, but I'm just not sure that I could fill a whole hour with my nonsense. So I, I'm happy to be a guest on whatever show, but I don't ever want to be in charge of any of those. <laughs> but thank you. Well, it's always good hearing you on there talking about uh, the football and the women's basketball. Speaking of the football team, uh, you've got to sit and, and, and chat with Coach Stoops in kind of a season-ending scenario. So tell us a little bit about that, uh, of what the latest news and notes you heard. Um, you know, the things that, that really stood out to me were that Stoops is sort of struggling with what I think a lot of Kentucky coaches and Bear Bryant have struggled with, which is it's not easy to turn Kentucky around. I think that Rich Brooks struggled with that the first couple of years. You know, Joker Phillips never really finished struggling with that. I think Mark Stoops is sort of understanding now what he got into. And and I'm not saying that he didn't maybe understand it fully when he took the job, but I think that coaches are sort of optimistic that they can they can make quick changes and, and things will get turned around. But, you know, I, I think there's something about Kentucky. I think that there's more of a mental hurdle that you have to get over than maybe, you know, a school, a, a different school than, than you know, I, I just think that there's something about the Kentucky football program and maybe the vibe that's around it, the negativity that sometimes develops when things go wrong quickly, the adversity that hits and the whole sideline sort of takes a different tone very quickly. I think those are things that Mark Stoops is now going to have to battle through. I think that they they have a little bit of you know depth, a little bit of talent at some key positions. I think they've got to figure out the quarterback situation. But, you know, I, I think that they – they have some talent. They have enough to maybe play with some of these teams in the SEC and, and win the games that they should be winning. But he's he's learning what everybody's learning, which is it's not it's not as simple as just bringing in a couple of good recruiting classes and, and, and making headway in the SEC because the problem in the SEC is even if you have the number 20 recruiting class in the country, which Kentucky looks like it's going to have, there's still eight SEC teams ahead of you in the rankings. You know, so they're, they're, everybody's building, everybody's developing, and it's it's just it's not an easy task. As far as the news that I think came out of Stoops, I think that, you know, there will be staff changes, I think was pretty clear. I, I asked if there were going to be personnel or structural changes, and he said a little bit of both. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some coaches sort of get reassigned, you know, if they stick with the no special teams coordinator, which 
Stoops was a little bit defiant about when he talked to us, and I think on other other things that he's talked since then that it was very similar that he was kind of defiant about it. But you know, I, I think that there's going to be some reassignment of duties. I think that you might see a staff member to end up at another school. Um, you know, I, I, I think some things are going to change just because Stoops understands that you know they can't keep being five and seven. I mean, that they need to to make that next step. Absolutely, um, and. You know the the frustration from the fan base from missing the two bowl games. You know five and seven two years in a row. Um, he's definitely kind of feeling that now, or or maybe sensing it. Wouldn't you say, based on some of his comments as well? Yeah, I definitely think you're right. I think that in some ways he's sort of. I, I think he's sort of a victim of his own early success. I think that people saw the win over Missouri. They saw the, you know, the year before they saw the three overtime, you know, loss at Florida. They saw a bunch of really good things happening early for Kentucky. And then things start to go south and it, it, you know, it it doesn't look right. You know, or the South Carolina win both seasons sort of spelled, you know, fans sort of got their hopes up and, and then there were games like the Florida game this year, the Auburn game this year, games where things seemed like they were really riding, that there was a lot on the line, and, and then they couldn't produce. And and I think that you sort of become a victim of your own success. The other problem for Stoops, and this is sort of beyond his control and it feeds the whole chicken and egg theory, which is fancy a brand-new stadium, a mostly renovated new stadium. They see a giant $45 million practice facility going up behind the stadium, and they think that that means – you know, I, I think in a lot of minds they think that can mean sort of instantaneous change, and and I think that everybody knows you can put some paint on a on a house that's falling down and it looks okay from the outside, but you go inside and there's still some stuff that needs to be repaired, and I think that that's sort of what football is dealing with. That you know, just because it looks pretty on the outside doesn't mean there aren't things that that don't need to be fixed internally to make them a football team. But on the positive, you know, the thing that the fans sort of latch onto, they look at all of these different things that. You know, my Twitter my Twitter feed is inundated with complaints about Stoops, mis- you know, disorganization, no special teams coach, you know, plays where players weren't ready, guys were running off and on the field incorrectly. It, it just doesn't look like a good football team. But the thing that I think fans don't latch on to, which is both last season and this season, Kentucky was really three or four plays away from – getting to a bowl and having a completely different conversation at this point in the year. And, and I think a lot of things are fixed when you win that extra game and you get to the bowl. People tend to forget about the things that made them angry during the season. So, you know, the margin for error is slim, and, and I think he's really starting to kind of feel the, the heat from that. Yeah, and, and one yeah. thing that uh, I, I just don't think the Kentucky fans are quite as knowledgeable about how it is to build football versus basketball. And it's a lot more time intensive than than a basketball program, because one recruit in basketball can do something that one recruit in football can't do. Right. And uh, we've talked about on the show before when you look at a program where I, I would say it's safe to say we're ahead of South Carolina, you know, at least tied with Missouri. And even though we lost to them, I still think ahead of Vanderbilt, and that's still rarefied air for the football program. There's progress being made, even though the the common belief is there's nothing going on. Right. And, 
You know, I, I think the fans that are really smart about football are seeing a lot of the sort of disorganization stuff that I'm talking about. They're seeing these sort of flaws in the game, and they're thinking, you know, the coaches don't know what they're doing. And then the average fan, like you're talking about, that maybe doesn't understand how long it takes to rebuild. You know, and I think you combine those two, and it becomes sort of a perfect storm of just rage right now. You know, I, I think winning solves a lot of problems. I think if they win a couple games early next season that – that maybe some of the fans come back, maybe some of the fans sort of start to, to get their hopes up again. But, you know, Kentucky football is Kentucky football. There have been 10, 10 seasons where they've won seven games or more in the last 62 years. And I think that's sort of the message that Stoops is trying to get out there, that they're trying to get to that point, but it's, you know, it's a rough ride. It's, it's going to be a rough ride. His argument was we've, we've put some exciting football out there and we're going to keep putting some exciting football out there. You just have to stick with us until they get the wins. You know, I'm not sure how that's going to go. I'm not sure how the fans are going to respond to that. I'm not sure how they're going to feel about it. You know, I think they're going to need to see some more on the field before they feel good about it again. At least that's the sort of impression I get from reading my email and and tweets. And and be doing it with with Drew Barker as the guy now with Patrick Toll transferring. So he's going to have to learn on the fly, uh, even though, I mean, he played some this year, but – I mean, he's really going to still, in my opinion, be thrown into the fire because uh, whenever he did come in for tolls, he had to run for his life. And, and, you know, the offensive line issues, he couldn't really see what he could do. Uh, you saw a touchdown drive and a pick six, uh, I think, against Vanderbilt. So he's really going to have to get the ground running next year. Yeah, but, you know, there are a lot of quarterbacks that, that sort of hit the ground running in the SEC and you, you learn as you go, and, and that's okay. Yeah, I think that. The thing with the thing with Drew Barker that probably will help him is, you know, not splitting reps fifty fifty. I think having a second year in the Shannon Dawson offense will help him sort of figure some things out. Um and then like I said, the just not not splitting the reps, getting all of the one hundred percent first team reps can only help a guy as he's trying to learn and progress. And and I'm not sure that, you know, being in a in a quarterback competition was, was very good to tolls for the last three years and I'm sure it wasn't that great for Barker. And and I'd like to see what what spring looks like for a guy when he has he has full command of the offense, full command of the playbook, and you know is able to sort of make some moves as the guy and have the confidence to sort of make those plays and not worry about screwing up and losing the competition. I mean that was sort of the thing you were seeing in the spring. It was definitely the thing you were seeing in the fall before they named a, a starter, which was you know both guys were when they got their chance they didn't want to screw up. And and I think that when you go into a when you go into a series thinking I just can't screw up, you know that sort of that puts big tricks on your on your mind. I think that can really mess with you, and I think that it in some ways is sort of self fulfilling that you're going to mess up. So you know I think that having having that year, having that spring, having the the full fall, knowing that he's the guy will probably be really good for Drew Barker. I want to switch real quick and, and talk a little uh, UK women's basketball with you. Um, the big blowout win over Louisville, uh, and now getting up again for another big-name opponent in Duke. Um, there was some time in between games. You know, they had to win over Middle Tennessee as well, uh, which was good to see them take care of business and not look ahead. But um, where is the team at? Of course, undefeated and playing well, but what's the mindset now with Duke coming in? You know, I, I actually was pretty pretty interested to see what they would do with that Middle Tennessee game. I mean, they 
that sort of had trap game written all over it. You know, you, you have finals week coming up this, you know, they're in the middle of finals week this week. They had the Louisville game, which they had a huge, and, and especially for Michaela Epps, who's such an emotional kind of player, you know, when she plays well and gets up. So you, you sort of weren't sure what to expect from her because she exerted so much energy in that Thursday night game against Louisville and had such a big game, 10 of 11 from the field, you know, four assists, four rebounds. I mean, she was just, she was doing all the things that she needs to do to be sort of in that, that player of the year conversation in the SEC. And I think that I was sort of concerned or at least interested to see what, what they would do against middle Tennessee. I mean, a team that didn't, you know, didn't necessarily have a good record coming in, but a team that always plays tough at home that's given Kentucky fits when they've been in Murfreesboro before, but they went in and they, they did what they needed to do to win the game. And, you know, you know, much in the way we were talking about football, like wins makes everything look better. I think the fact that Kentucky is scoring the ball this season, that they're shooting, you know, 50% from the field as a team, they're shooting, you know, they're one of the top shooting teams in the SEC and in the nation right now. And and, and I think that that sort of cures a lot of the, any other issues they have. Like he'd like them to be better at on-ball defense still. He'd like them to be better at rebounding. You know, they, they were out-rebounded by a smaller middle Tennessee opponent last out. So, you know, I think that it'll be sort of interesting to see and fun, I think, to go to Rupp Arena and see what they're going to do against Duke because they're two really high-scoring teams. They're two aggressive offenses. You know, they they both have some star power. Um, Duke has Azura Stevens, who's one of the better big big people in the country. She, she really took it to Kentucky last season at, at Cameron. And then, you know, they have Rebecca Greenwell, who's an Owensboro Catholic kid who's coming back to Rupp for the first time. And then to see her sort of against Michaela Epps will, will I think be a lot of fun. I'll be I'll be intrigued to see if they put Epps on her, if they put maybe Macy Morris, the, the true freshman, to see what she can do against her. But I, I really think that that Duke matchup will show. You know, I thought this about Louisville too, though, so maybe I'm wrong. But you know, I, I really think that Duke matchup is going to be able to show Kentucky where it is and kind of what it still needs to improve. Do you see which following you on Twitter at he and her leader? Uh, of course, we were, everybody was getting a little antsy because it seemed like for a stretch of every five minutes you were tweeting out someone was transferring, <laughs> someone was departing the program, and, you know, oh, oh, what's going on? Oh, you know, and you just, just couldn't help but wonder, do you see now that, you know, the numbers have taken a hit on the roster, do you see the style of play continuing to be all out like that? for the course of the season, will, will Coach try to dial it back a little bit just since he doesn't have as many horses, or will he just, you know, keep the same philosophy, the uh, up-tempo, the trapping, the intense defense? Uh, you know, we haven't you seen that? any sign of the – yeah, we haven't seen any sign of the 40 minutes of dread this season that, that he likes to, to term that defense. And, you know, what we've seen is that – they don't necessarily have to keep people from scoring as much as they just need to outscore them. And Kentucky has been able to do that this season. And it's a really different philosophy for a coach like Matthew Mitchell, who's sort of, you know, defense became his thing. I mean, he was going around the country teaching clinics on, on how to play that up tempo, high, high energy style of defense for 40 minutes. And, you know, he, he was, he was a national speaker at several conventions in the last few years to sort of teach those, those skills and those mindsets. And, you know, he really had to take a step back as a coach. And, and I think in some ways you kind of have to – I think as a grown-up, I mean, all of us know how tough it is to sort of reverse course and make major changes in your life. And I think he really had to change his mind about, 
you know, offense. He said a couple of weeks ago that he thought offense was just easy. You just drop the play and you have a bunch of kids that are highly touted recruits and they should be able to run it. But the difference is, you know, you, you have to practice it. You have to have repetitions at it. And he's really focused practices in on the fact that they need to be able to shoot the ball at a high percentage. When teams get them in the half court, they have to be able to score, you know, especially in the low post. And they've been able to do that. And, you know, defensively, they're still, the I think, the second best, percentage-wise, the second best defense in the SEC right now. So it's not killing them on defense, but they're just having to play a different style, I think, because of what you said, that the numbers are limited. And, you know, the transition game is obviously limited some too. But I think that you're seeing a team that, that is sort of changing its, its stripes and, and maybe for the better. I got just a couple more questions before we let you go, Dan. One, sure. I'm I'm born and raised in Harlan County. Terry is probably rolling his eyes right now because <laughs> I don't purpose I don't purposely try to do it, try to work Harlan County into the show. But you know, Freddie Maggard is from here. We've had him on the show, things like that, and in different points in time, you know, we make reference to Harlan County. He's like, oh my god, because you know, he's a Louisville guy. Indirectly, Macy Morris, you know, from Bell County, but her dad. Lewis is a Harlan County guy. Right. Um, and, you know, known him my whole life and, you know, grew up watching him play at Cumberland where I went to high school. Tell us a little we all We all know about Michaela Ellis, but tell us a little bit about uh, Macy Morris and the season she's having, uh, shooting the rock, and, and what was all the other aspects of her game. I thought you were going to ask me if I was related to Jordan Smith from The Voice because you were talking about Harlan well, County. But, um, you know, <laughs> I uh, – I, Macy Morris, I, I was a little bit concerned about Macy Morris coming in. You know, Kentucky has had sort of bad luck recently with with the so-called, you know, shooters, the, the girls who are sort of known for their three-point shooting prowess. And, you know, they really struggle on defense. They maybe aren't as good at penetrating. They really can't play in the style that Kentucky has been playing. But I think that, that Macy Morris has really surprised a lot of people, including me, and that she's not only a really effective shooter. I mean, in the past, like I was saying, they've had some pretty bad luck. You know, a kid like J.C. Coe, who's probably going to play really well again eventually at Western, you know, she was she was coming in cold off the bench, and her only job was to shoot threes, and then she wasn't making them. And, and Kentucky was really struggling because of that. And then when she'd get back on defense, you know, she maybe wasn't as good defensively as they needed her to be, so they had to change the way they were playing. With Macy, you know, I think that he talked about the Northern Kentucky game, and this was sort of a funny moment in the Louisville press conference after they won by 18 points. And he said that during the game right before that at Northern Kentucky, he he had to bench Morris because she wasn't playing very good defense. I think the joke was that his 73-year-old mother who's getting ready to have knee replacement surgery couldn't have been guarded by Macy Morris. I mean, it was sort of a, you know, and he went he sort of went after her and then told her that Louisville was going to go after her on the first, you know, few possessions. They were going to really test her, and she was going to have to show them something or else she was going to sit by him the rest of the game. And, you know, lo and behold, Macy Morris didn't give up much in that game. And she, you know, as he put it, you know, she's a battler. She's a baller and she's a battler. And, you know, I I think she did your your hometown or your home area proud because she proved that she, you know, she's a Miss Basketball from that area of the state, which hasn't really occurred since the 70s. And I think that she's she's really playing hard, and she plays like it means something to have Kentucky written on her chest, sort of in the same way that Epps does. I think she enjoys playing basketball, and that's sort of contagious for the kids around her. 
And I, I think that not only is she going to be a real offensive weapon eventually, she's going to – and a fan favorite. I think she's going to be – she's going to be one of those kids who's so stubborn that she doesn't – she doesn't give up a lot of points on defense just to sort of prove him wrong. Because, you know, after the Louisville game and they made that joke about her, she was put on on uh, Middle Tennessee's best player as well, just the way that the matchups worked out. They had her on um, Middle Tennessee – Bree Edwards, the, the best player at Middle Tennessee – and, and Macy said that one of her assistants joked that her Louisville defense was a fluke, and her whole goal was to prove him wrong. <laughs> so she's one of those. She's one of those tough, hard-nosed, stubborn mountain kids that you know I think is probably doing that region proud, and, and probably will for the next few years at Kentucky. Well, that's that's how we are. You know, that's that's how we are from <laughs> down there. Uh, you know, got that hard head about it. And speaking of Jordan Smith, I'm, I'm writing an article about him this evening on CameronMillsRadio.com, so shameless plug there. Um, and final question, on your on your archives for KentuckySports.com, uh, I think it said that you're a daughter of an IU grad <laughs> and a U of L grad. My oh, question is this. It gets worse than that. It made me a natural sports writer because, like, you couldn't have allegiances in my house growing up. It was just awful. <laughs> I'm a Kentucky grad. <laughs> My mom is a uh-huh. diehard Louisville fan and a Louisville grad. My dad swam for Indiana in the 70s. My grandparents went to Duke. My grand my grandfather was on the Rose Bowl team in 1942 that played for Duke football. Oh, so my, my house at Christmas, as you will imagine, is just brutal. Like, it, it's funny and it's interesting. And, you know, people like my, my mom will give UK towels to clean your car with. And, you know, there's just <laughs> sort of all the jokes that, that go back and forth, T-shirts passed out that are the wrong teams. And it's it's really sort of amusing, but it did kind of set me up to be a sports writer, sort of be, you know, impartial and indifferent about it because I sort of liked all teams growing up because my family was so full of them. So, yes, that is, that's sort of my history. <laughs> that was kind of my question, just what was the the most amusing Slash heated slash debate banter among all of y'all together, and what was it about? Does anything stand out like that y'all were just going on and on and on about? Based on your uh, different, you know, alumnus of different schools, was it some sports or was it some academic that y'all were just, you know, going at it about? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, it's mostly like I said, the, the sort of passing out of the mean things at Christmas. You know, like. People get a Kentucky shirt, and my dad will say something like, "Oh, that'll be great to take out the trash in." And you know, like, I mean, they're just sort of these these running jokes like that that that, that go around our family. You know, my when when I'm messing with my grandfather, who's 94 years old, God love him. You know, and if he says something, he always says, "Man, that 1992 Duke team was really good in basketball." Oh, and I mean, oh just, great there, there are lots of like kind of fun low blows. Um, I imagine. Oh. And I don't want to give away any like you know special surprises, but I imagine that a, a you know a hard copy hand signed Katina Bet book will end up in someone's stocking at some point this season. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of just sort of jokes and fun stuff like that that goes around in my family because of the rivalries. But you know, like I said, it sort of makes sports fun, and and I sort of grew up in a in a household where sports was fun. And you make it fun when we read your tweets and read your articles, so. Uh, sorry for keeping you a couple minutes too long, but appreciate everything, oh, and thank you so much for, for hopping on with us. And stay well, 
and hope everybody else stays well as well in the house. Pray for me. I'm all alone now. Pray for me. I've been there. I've been there with with my wife up in one bedroom and the kids, you know, yeah. separate, and, you you know, running to check on her and then running the ticket. Oh, I've been there, and, and I feel your pain. I feel your pain, dear. All right, guys. Have Thank a good night. You too. Thank you, dear. Ken Smith from the Herald Leader, bringing the football and basketball knowledge in and around the family being sick. So thank her for that. Uh, and uh, just a couple of football notes I did mention, but she's written about in her articles. AJ Stamps playing in the Collegiate Bowl, and UK founder Big Blue Lineman Tate Levitt from the Junior College out in Hutchinson, Kansas, six six three ten. We saw the O line TV. Saw the O line from the fence block multiple times. That is going to be a big help. Coach Stoops is kind of raving about him, so uh, he'll have to make a transition from JUCO ball to the SEC. But hopefully, he can help that O line out more in the next year. Oh, lose TV? Yeah, TV. Well, let's take us a quick break. I'll see if TV is still on the line. We'll get everything back when we come back. Got Mark Spencer coming up in about 15 minutes or so. The AD from the University of Evansville. We'll have him on in just a second. You're listening to Cast Talk with Benny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network and blogtalkradio.com. Yeah, you can't buy happiness. I mean, that made me happy for a little while. <laughs> but once you fall in love, now that I've found that, the world seems a lot better. Cause I can't give it up for
back to the show. Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brother Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com, 845-277-9373 is the number. If you want to give us a call, feel free to give us a ring. About 10 minutes away from Evansville Aces Athletic Director Mark Spencer. Uh, looking forward to having him on. TV gave us a little preview of some of the things we'll talk about, so that's going to be a fun conversation when Mr. Spencer gives us a ring. Um, a couple little things. Of course, we'll, we'll definitely get into UK Ohio State this weekend, uh, talk some football, talk UK Arizona State already. Um, the highest one was this past weekend, and I'm not one that usually even watches the ceremony, uh, but I did watch it this past weekend because uh, I was waiting for the 30 for 30 that followed it, that four fouls of Buffalo, because two of those fouls of Buffalo were courtesy of my Dallas Cowboys, so it just brought back a lot of good memories. Did you watch the Heisman? Did you think Derrick Henry was going to win? How did you see that playing out, CP? I, I figured that Henry was going to win. Uh, awful announcing. Uh, one of my favorite sports websites kind of looks at, uh, you know, sports online, on TV. The Heisman ceremony is hemorrhaging viewers, and this was the lowest-rated uh, presentation they've had in a while, uh, I think because, and I agree with what they were saying in their article, I think they posted today, uh, they don't want the voters making their ballots public. So you know, in previous years, different writers like Stuart Mandel, uh, who was with Fox Sports, was with uh, uh, Sports Illustrated for a long time, and some of those other football guys would kind of give you a running tally of their ballots. Well, well, that didn't happen, so it didn't build a lot of energy uh, for the show. And uh, for my money, if it ever was about the best football player anymore, it's just the best either running back or quarterback on the best team. Uh, I think that the, the, the Stanford kid, uh, and I should know his name, but I'm being bad, uh, would have had a different shot. But Yes, easy Ed, Ed's son, easy Ed McCaffrey's son. Uh, yeah. But I figured that it, Alabama, who this is – You've got to remember, this is only their second Heisman Trophy winner, which is bizarre to me. Uh, I figured he was going to win it, so I didn't uh, watch the ceremony. I can't remember the last time I actually sat down and watched the entire ceremony. Uh, It's probably going back some some years and uh, to sit and watch the whole thing. Probably, I would say when Ricky Williams won, you know, and that's been a few moons ago. That's probably the last yeah. one I actually sat and, and, and watched. Yeah, and that before this past weekend, it's been a while for me as well. I don't, I don't remember the last time I did either. Do you think Leonard Fournette should have at least been a finalist? And when you break down the stats, you've got Derrick Henry, uh, 339 attempts, 1,986 yards, 23 touchdowns. Leonard Fournette, 1,741 yards, 18 touchdowns. So five less touchdowns, about 240 less yards. Henry played in the uh, title game, 
and Fournette had a game canceled earlier in September you know, due to weather down there in Baton Rouge against a, a, a little school, one of the cupcakes. So, I mean, you can assume he would have dropped a couple hundred yards and, you know, two or three touchdowns on that team as well. Do you think he at least should have been up there with those other guys? Yeah, and this is something else that the uh, awful announcing touched on. There should be more people. If you're going to have a show that's an hour or 90 minutes, have other uh, young men that have had great uh, or very, very good college football season. Make it a celebration of those guys. You know, the ESPN Awards, where they've kind of combined a lot of different awards into one show, that's what makes it a little bit more watchable. Because you can say, oh, I remember, you know, that play or, or that game, uh, because you're you're right on. Fournette lost a game, so his numbers aren't going to look that great. He sh- he certainly should have been there for the first half of the season. He was the guy, and I, I think yeah. that um, it, it certainly would have been beneficial to college football for him to be there. I, I don't think that that's outside the realm of uh, the possibility. I think it's a really good thing. Um, but the Heisman, uh, it's, it's, it's lost its cachet a little bit, I think, yeah. uh, because even though in the late 90s, uh, you know, that's when you start seeing the Heisman Trophy winner really not make it on the, uh, on the NFL. And I think that's what really took a lot of the, the shine off of it is when uh, the Heisman Trophy winners and for my money, I think it started with Charlie Ward not even playing in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that yeah. that was kind of the turning point uh, for it. I mean, you look at uh, – I mean, you can go through the, the roster. Gino Toretta, Ron Dane wasn't very good. You know, Ricky Williams probably of a recent vintage the best, you know, NFL career. And I understand that's, that's not what the award is for, but still – there's people, you know, that they talk about being former Heisman Trophy winners, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Jason White did win it at Oklahoma. <laughs> I've forgotten about that. You know, and and I'm, right. I'm not talking him, but there's just I've players never... you're like, I forgot, he, I forgot he won it. You know yeah. what I mean? Because uh, I, I think, you know, in our parents' generation, that Heisman Trophy, you, you knew, and you could rattle off the last ten. I couldn't do that. I have no, no. idea. Uh, no. You know, I know Jameis won it. You know, uh, Mariota won it last year. I think you know. I, I and I'm not yeah. knocking these guys, but it's not what it once was. And then Tebow and Manziel, and then it gets a little murky. Yeah, and because they they weren't producing, you know, and you think Rashawn Salam going back, and just people that won it that it, it became a curse. Uh, you know, I know Eddie George. I remember Eddie George because the fingers got knocked off when he was taking it back to Columbus. Different things like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, what what kind of soured on me was the the Reggie Bush situation and, and taking it back and all that kind of foolishness. So the Heisman's not what it used to be. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, but, but congrats to Derrick Henry. Um, the SEC fan in me is hoping Alabama can 
win the college football playoff this time around. You know, got bounced out by Ohio State last year. Saban goes up against Michigan State, his first, I guess, big, big coaching job before he went on to LSU and then on to Alabama. And you go, you got the Miami Dolphins stint in there as well. But uh, I guess that was his first where he stepped up to the big time was there at Michigan State. So you kind of got that storyline uh, when they meet up uh, here in a few weeks in in one of the semifinal games. It, 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 I, I've said it before, Alabama has kind of become the uh, Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers of college football just when you think they're dead. You know, we've read, you know, since they lost to Ohio State last year, lost to Ole Miss earlier this year, Alabama's done, they're out of the picture, and boom, pop right back into it uh, because they're Alabama. And if you really want to end what uh, Nick Saban is doing, you're, you're going to have to, to, to go out and play your best game. And it's, it's very similar. I know that Cal here in uh, Kentucky doesn't have the, the national championships, but uh, – you know, getting to the Final Four, like, hey, you, you know, if you beat Kentucky, you've had a pretty good season. So I think that's where Alabama, uh, Alabama is. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, Ole Miss, you know, that that carried a lot of weight for them knocking off Alabama like that. Um, and of course, the Egg Bowl still means a ton there as well, but, you know, if you can knock off Alabama, and they were in position to kind of win the West, but, you know, they had some slip-ups along the way, but they still can say we knocked off Alabama, especially if Alabama goes on and, you know, wins the championship this year. That's correct. That's correct. Now, Vinny, it looks like we've got our guest on. I believe we do. Mr. Spencer, are you there? I am here. How are we doing, guys? Doing good. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Uh, we've got the uh, University of Evansville Athletic Director Mark Spencer on the line to talk some pieces, aces, and some other things. Uh, we certainly appreciate you coming on to uh, talk with us today. Well, I appreciate you letting me invade uh, Big Blue Nation. <laughs> Just a, a, a real short story. I had to explain to, to Vinny, you know, kind of how we got connected and. For those people that follow me on Twitter, I'm more than just sports. I also live tweet The Bachelor on ABC. I watch it with the lovely Mrs. TB, and I live tweet it. And so I got a segment of people that follow me for that. And that's how uh, Mrs. Spencer, we kind of got connected with our Bachelor tweets, and, and that's kind of how we got to this point uh, today. So not just sports, I do a little bit of reality TV as well. Yeah, my my wife does it seriously as a heart attack. She uh, she writes a blog on it, and uh, of course, being a good husband, if she's going to sit through all my basketball games and all the rest of the sporting things, I, I, I'm going to definitely uh, support her in watching The Bachelor. And, uh, have a good entertaining show on that one. I, I certainly understand that. So, for a lot of folks, uh, University of Evansville, I know growing up for me, it was they were known for still having sleeves on their shirts, on the on the men's basketball uh, uniforms. But that's kind of changed uh, now. Is that correct? Well, you know what? We actually still carry that tradition. That's one of those that 
um, it's so ingrained. I, I'm a, I'm originally a Northeast guy. I'm from Rochester, New York, and uh, you know the, my first memories in, in hearing about Evansville is the is the sleeves, and it's just such a big part of the community and, and our following. We've still carried the sleeves on. We don't wear them as much. We be very we're very focused with them, uh, but we we do still wear them. Uh, we wore them. Um, you know, last year we had a uh, a great reunion with one of our national championship teams, our 64-65 team that had Larry Humes and, and um, you know, Jerry Sloan on that team. And, you know, we wore the sleeves for that game and ended up um, beating Southern Illinois. So it's it's still a big part of our uh, our identity. And, and now what exactly is a purple ace? I know that's the oh. mascot. Ace is ace is the hashtag. What is a purple ace? Well, it's it's a riverboat gambler. You know, we're we're in the bend of the Ohio River, and uh, it was adopted many many years ago. But uh, it, it's hilarious that a Methodist university, a small private Methodist university, would would adopt this. But that um, he's he's our guy. That he's he's exactly what he looks like. He's a riverboat gambler. Now, just reading through your your bio. Now, this isn't the first kind of. Uh, different mascot that you've worked for. Uh, longtime listeners know that my lovely wife attended St. Louis University, home of the Billikens. I know that you worked there for a stretch. Yeah, I, I have quite the, uh, I guess, the spread uh, of mascots that I've been at. Uh, the SLU being one of them, I, I was there for, for five years right before uh, Coach Majerus got there and, and Coach Cruz uh, from the, the Evansville community. I was there with uh, Brad Soderberg as our basketball coach, who's now on Tony Bennett's staff over at uh, Virginia. Uh, but you got the Billiken, which, you know, for those of you who don't know, uh, the Billiken is a little, It's it, well, it was a token back in the early uh, 1910s, 1920s that was given to people, but it's a good luck charm, and it looks like a little uh, Buddha. And uh, the new, new version of it is <laughs> uh, quite an interesting take on it. <laughs> they just released a new, I guess, futuristic kind of billiken-looking thing, and yeah, it's it's certainly it's certainly crazy. Now yeah. we've had some some other uh, athletic directors on, and just talking about juggling attention for all the sports. You know, whereas coaches kind of focus on their little narrow worldview, you've got to take in the big picture. And, and running an athletic department, what's the biggest challenge on on doing that? Well, you know, whether you're at Evansville or UK or Ohio State, um, the biggest one's always resources. You know, no matter how much money you've got, you always need more because, uh, you know, every coach that you're going to find, the grass is always greener in somebody else's backyard. So, you know, I need more to recruit or I need more to spend on, you know, whatever gadget that's going to help them get that next step up on somebody. So, it's really just trying to be able to find that money um, and allocate it to a way that you're being equitable. You know, we have to be very Title IX conscious, uh, make sure that we're providing those opportunities for uh, our women's sports that we're providing for the for the men, um, and just trying to, you know, make sure that they're all competitive. I think, you know, there's probably nothing worse than, you know, going through an experience and, and just knowing that, you know, you don't really have a chance to win. You know, everyone, uh, every athletic director's uh, goal is for the kids that are playing for them to have a chance to play for a championship or to, to be into that kind of 
put into that situation because, you know, that lasts your lifetime. Our, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to be a part of a national championship team when I was at Oregon State where we won our second uh, baseball national championship. I've won many conference championships, but even this year for the Aces, our, our women's soccer team uh, was the first team for the University of Evansville to go postseason since 2009. So we're really just trying to get everyone to have that chance to play for a conference championship and then go play in the NCAA tournament and just have that great experience. Now, when you were at Oregon State, uh, I've, uh, we talked about last week, we were talking about all the different football rivalries. You know, last weekend was kind of rivalry weekend. Is the Oregon-Oregon State, I know it's the Civil War, but is it is it pretty intense? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, it, it's a Civil War for a reason. The schools are only separated by about 40 miles. Uh, and it's 40 miles of, of back roads. There's no towns in between, and the uh, the population base of Oregon in general is uh, two hours north of uh, Corvallis, Oregon, which is where Oregon State is, and almost three hours north of uh, Oregon. So you're always fighting for your fans to stop at your school and to you know support your team. Uh, but it is one of those hated rivalries that, you know, even when you're not playing one another, it, you you choose very carefully. Um, me being an outsider, I, I, it was easy for me to choose because it was whoever was signing my paycheck. But uh, my wife will forever be a, a beaver. She is born and raised in the Corvallis area. And, uh, you know, the Ducks can never do anything right, no matter what. Now, I've, I've noticed that, that she tweets a lot of stuff. Whatever the beavers are doing, whatever it is, she is still she is still on board there. You know, it's uh, athletics in general, and you get this everywhere. It's a family. I mean, you, we still know people on staff. We still have a lot of people that we root for. You know, even when we don't know people, she's still going to want to root for the Beavers. Of course, she's uh, she's like, when are you going to get them on the schedule? I said, as soon as they'll answer my phone call. So, um, so you, you know, you want to have those kind of great rivalries. It's, uh, you know, it, everyone has their favorite, you know. Those folks, you know, I'm I'm sure, you know, if you're in Louisville or, or somewhere in between Louisville and Lexington, you've got to choose. And no matter where you're at in the country, if you ever move away, that is your team. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for me, I grew up in western New York. My closest Division One school was uh, I went to St. Bonaventure about two hours away. We had Canisius and University of Buffalo wasn't really the school. It was Syracuse was the big school in New York. So I never grew up with that. So it's been weird for me to go school to school, and I can root for anybody, uh, usually mostly my friends because it's, again, a big family. But my wife just is uh, its visceral for her. Well, you're, you're kind of opposite of, of, of us. My wife is from Cincinnati and went to St. Louis, and we moved back to Louisville, and she is a Lu- uh, Kentucky fan by marriage where she is kind of removed from it all. But the the Louisville-Kentucky, when they play in anything, I am just a little bit more than intense. The, the girls are not around, allowed to be around me when I'm watching, when I'm watching those games. Uh, so who, is, does Evansville have a, a big rival that, that kind of is the, 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 the game that all the coaches circle on the schedule? You know, we, uh, we really don't have that one in our backyard. You know, we had a lot of our history was um, in the in the college division. So 
So uh, we had some of those great um, rivalries with Kentucky Wesley and, and some of those schools. I think being in the conference that we're in, um, you know, we're, we're a private school playing against a lot of public schools. So you always want to beat um, Indiana State. You want to beat your in-state rival, and I'd say that that's, that's probably one that everyone gets up for. But I think because they're the king of the conference, Wichita State, Wichita State would be the one that almost every program does because they're the, the 800-pound gorilla in the conference. You know, they, uh, they've won, I think, nine out of the last 12 um, all-sports commissioner cup uh, awards uh, for winning all the conference championships. So, you know, any time that you can take those guys down a notch is, is always good for uh, the little school Evansville. You know, we're, we're one of the smallest uh, Division One schools in the country, and uh, so, you know, for us to be able to fight those state schools that have 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people in it in a budget, you know, 10 times what we have, uh, it's always an accomplishment. Now, we, we'd Mark, like to get you guys on the on the schedule because, you know, Mitch Barnhart was the AD at uh, Oregon State some years ago. Uh, yeah, I have some one of those six degrees of separation uh I had a chance to talk with Mitch several years ago. We were recruiting a, a golf coach, and he had somebody he was pushing. Uh, and, of course, I, my old boss, Bob Carolus, had worked for him when he was at Oregon State. So I got a chance to talk with Mitch. Um, on your basketball staff, your associate AD for basketball operations is Chris Woolard. Uh, I used to work for Chris's Doug Woolard when he was the AD at St. Louis University. And then even all the way down to, to Tyler Ulis. Um, he came before he blew up on the uh, AAU. Uh, he came on a recruiting visit, came for the Civil War uh, men's basketball game against Oregon, had 8,900 folks, and he sat right in front of me. I had to got a, had a chance to talk to him, real nice uh, kid on his visit, and we thought we had a chance. And then, you know, you came, UK came sweeping in, and that was it. He, he knew where he was going. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes that's the that's the case with the with the basketball recruits. Uh, Mark, this is Benny. I'd just like to jump in and, and once again thanks for coming on with us. You mentioned that you grew up in, in Rochester, New York. I just wanted to ask uh, what were the sports that you played growing up and what were did you excel at? Which sports uh, were your best? Well, you know, uh <laughs> I, there were some that I was better than others. I, I wouldn't say that I excelled at any. I was kind of the big jack of all trades. I was uh, I was a baseball player growing up for the most part, a basketball guy, but um, went to St. Bonaventure. I say basketball has always been my passion. Uh, that that is my that's the one closest to my heart. I'll watch uh, I'll watch almost any college basketball game, no matter you know who the opponents are, if that's on TV. But um, I went to St. Bonaventure and tried walking on, on their team a couple times, but there's not a lot of call for a six foot two inch uh power forward. And uh I used to have pops <laughs> but you know, you you stack about sixty pounds down to you, you're lucky if you can tie your shoes in the morning. So uh, and and I saw where you uh yourself and the University of Evansville Athletic Department on Twitter we're tweeting about the first ever West Side night. Tell us what what that is. Yeah, this is uh, you know Evansville being the town that it is, very divided. You know you have uh, uh, Evansville 
kind of the older established private school um, kind of in the middle of town, but a little bit to the west or to the uh, east side of the city. And then um, you have the west side of the city where the University of uh, Southern Indiana is located. So a lot of people identify themselves as east siders or west siders, and there's a very clear dividing line in town. And, uh, you know, in my first year here, I really wanted to identify, you know, what are our challenges? You know, that's what any new AD comes in is, is, you know, you don't just bring what you had. You know, the stuff that I had at Oregon State isn't going to just be, you know, plug and play at Evansville. So ask a lot of people, find out, you know, kind of what they're trying to do and, and, you know, why, you know, these folks are coming, why they're not. We found out that our season ticket base and most of our fans are all east side folks and that the west side folks um, have, I think, for the better part of, uh, I don't know, five or ten years, almost neglected. We weren't marketing to them. We we saw real low rates of return on tickets. So um, we said, you know what, let's focus on them this year and find a good date. And honestly, the stars aligned with us. Uh, we had an unfortunate incident uh, in town uh, where uh, a young man named Logan, uh, who goes to Wrights High School, uh, was killed by a drunk driver. And this was, uh, I think it was March of last year. And so they started a charity uh, called Logan's Promise, and they had approached us about an idea of trying to partner up. And, you know, it's a West Side High School. And we're like, you know what, this would be a great one to partner up with. And we had already picked the game, which worked out well because it was Indiana State, that in-state rivalry. And we're like, hey, you know what, it's not about East and West anymore. It's about North and South. We're in the South. Let's go beat the North team up in, in Terre Haute. And so we got the date and everything. And then uh, we reached out to a lot of the businesses in the community and just said, hey, can you help sponsor this? You know, we're going to give you guys these ticket vouchers. Um, if people go to your businesses, they can bring that voucher in, get tickets on the west side of the stadium, try to keep them close to home. And, you know, you can get those tickets for 5 bucks. And it's our first game for the Missouri Valley Conference uh, season. And hopefully, you know, if they come once, maybe they'll come twice. Uh, but just to try to open that door, and we did uh, our, our, our one signee this past fall is a Wrights High School or, or will be a graduate and uh, a very good player in, uh, in Drew Smith. So uh, real excited to have all those ties, but it just was one of those perfect uh, storms where we put had a lot of different ideas and they just came um, all together into this idea of doing this West Side night. So we're real excited. I think that we've had some great feedback, and hopefully there will be a big crowd, and, and hopefully the West Side will again see the University of Evansville as their town or their school. And, and that's that's a challenge I don't think a lot of people understand for athletic directors. You know, here in our area, Kentucky basketball, people are going to come if you've got three monkeys out there playing on the floor. That That's you know, kind of how it is, but it's it's the other sports that you you're you're you know you want people to come see and you want the community to be involved, and that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of people understand as far as like what your role for the entire athletic department is. Yeah, we uh, the, the athletic director, and you had mentioned it before. The coaches are going to coach, and every coach that you've met, um, you know, for the most part, you have to kind of take some perspective on them. A lot of them have never left college. They graduated, they became coaches, and they've been on a college campus their whole life. So their whole perspective is their sport trying to win. They don't do big pictures. They don't take that step back of 
how do I get people to come to my games or how do I make sure the community is involved or how do I, you know, some, everyone thinks they're a marketing genius, but, you know, how do I market my sport or how do I effectively do that? That's where the AD has to kind of come in and see where all those different pieces fit. You know, if we're going to buy, we actually, this year, simplest of things, uh, our fall sports, we only do, we do posters for any of our sports that we sell tickets to. And in the past, you know, you get to the fall and we had volleyball for the women and men's and women's soccer. And we'd print posters for all three of them. And then you go to the businesses and ask them to put it up. Well, they don't have room for three posters. So this year, after seeing that, I said, hey, we got a lot of waste. Why don't we do one poster and ask the businesses to get them up? And they put them up overwhelmingly. But, again, that's one of those that taking that half step back of why something's not working or how to make it more effective and to get it to where it helps the whole in general. And that's, you know, what me and my staff, I get, you know, I I, got to give my staff a whole lot of credit that, um, you know, that can come to me with any idea. And quite honestly, um, we steal from everybody. Uh, I send my guys to (laughs) my ticket managers. uh, He's from Louisville. He goes to Louisville games and we'll go and, and see what promotions they're doing. We'll go to Kentucky games. We'll anywhere we can go, and usually we'll go to the big boys because what they're doing um, looks big time. Usually doesn't cost a whole lot. It's just effort. So if we can get the ideas and figure out how to operationally do it, we'll steal from everybody because you know if it's a good idea, it's a good idea. Well, I, I'm I'm just gonna I, I've not done your job, but I'm just gonna let you know. You might not want to get any ideas from the University of Louisville. That's just a that's just a heads up. That's a free piece of advice. <laughs> we won't do any, we won't do any recruiting from them. We they can sell some tickets, but uh, we, maybe we won't do too much recruiting. <laughs> so uh, it's basketball season now. Uh, are you guys are you looking to kind of knock uh, Wichita State kind of off that that top perch? Well, you know, that's that is always the goal. And I gotta tell you, they got a pretty firm grasp on that perch. Um and we got picked number two in the conference this year. Uh we got two well, we returned almost everyone from the squad from last year. We lost one senior, we lost one kid that was a junior college transfer and he transferred back out. So, you know, we came back with our, our guns loaded to bear. Um we've got a kid on the team named DJ Ballantyne who uh uh, needs 20 more points to become a 2,000-point scorer. Uh, he's on pace to become the school's all-time leading scorer. Uh, and then we have uh, our big guy, six foot ten inch center, Agidius Masakavichis. And uh, it's it, we've we've got a lot of foreign kids on the team, and his name honestly is one of the easier ones to say. But uh, he's <laughs> he's averaging uh, I think he's averaging like 17 and 13. Um, you know he's a double double machine. He had. 20 double-doubles last year, and uh, I think he's had a double-double in every game except for one this year. Uh, So those guys are both seniors, and so if we're going to get something done, this is our year. Wichita, very, very talented group. You know, Ron Baker is an incredible shooter, and and, uh, Van Fleet, um, just when he's running the show, that team is is completely different. Um, But I think, you know, we're going to be a tough matchup with with the guys we have being able to score – you know, we lead the country in um, assists per bucket. You know, we are very, very disciplined. Uh, you know, Marty Simmons is a, is a very good X's and O's coach. You know, he's a, he's a Bobby Knight uh, disciple. 
and uh, and he just he gets them to play the, the brand of basketball that values possession. Um, we're not afraid to go late into the shot clock, and gives most teams a lot of trouble because they don't see pick after pick after pick. Uh, so make teams work. So it's an exciting year for us. I think we'll have a chance. Um, but you know anybody can beat anybody on on any given night. And, and and I'm a basketball guy, uh, you know, growing up here in Louisville, going to UK, a little bit uh, different than, I don't want to say small schools, but smaller schools like yourself in St. Louis. But since uh, I've been with the Misses, I've paid attention uh, to that. And it, 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 it's different basketball, but in my mind, it's, I think it's a lot better. It gets a little bit more team-oriented versus some of the stuff that we see uh, in Rupp Arena. But uh, I, I definitely hope you guys knock off Wichita State because, you know, we beat them a couple of years ago in the tournament. So I'm, I'm in top Wichita State with you. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's great to watch that big time basketball. But that's that is depth of talent. You know, when you've got when you look down your roster and you know the last guy on the bench is only a four star recruit, um, you know, and we look at our roster and nobody on our roster was over a three star you see that just depth of talent to where, you know, Coach Cal is a fantastic coach. I, I've watched him for many, many years, uh, and it's one of those he will do whatever he has in front of him, he can adapt to it, which is a sign of a great coach. Um, but when you have talent, you can let them find the game, where when you have guys that aren't necessarily, they can't create their own shot or they're a little bit more one-dimensional, they're not that 5 tool baseball player, um, a system is how you get to be successful in finding those right pieces where, you know, this guy knows how to set good picks and this guy knows how to set good jumpers or to shoot good jumpers. Well, you put those two together and you can have a scorer. If, you know, everyone on Kentucky can do almost everything that you ask them to, well, then you don't have to play so many with, uh, with so much with pieces. Yeah, and I think that Kentucky fans, I know we get spoiled especially since Cal has been here, uh, that we do have the luxury of uh, – there was a joke, I think it was last year, Vinny, that at any given point in time we had three McDonald's All-Americans on the bench and just how ridiculous that is. And uh, But when you see that, and, you know, we played Wichita State in the tournament a, a couple of years ago, it was a great game because those guys played a certain way that really made – they really balanced out the, the talent gap if there was one. Uh, and that's what I really like about the NCAA tournament. You see these kind of smaller schools uh, that don't get all the spotlight playing the bigger schools and really taking it to them. Yeah, you get a lot of that where, you know, it's uh, sometimes it comes down to valuing possessions. I mean, you know, they're, uh, you know, with us, we've got we've to gotta use all 30 seconds, limit the number of chances that somebody else gets, defend well and we're not going to blow people out normally by 40 points because we don't we're not going to push the ball up and down the, the floor we're not going to have as many shots and possessions as somebody else whereas Kentucky you know you guys can go up and down the court you know that you can block shots when you need it you can go early in the shot clock and you know you can take you know an off an off balance shot in you know probably half the time somebody's going to be athletic enough to get an offensive rebound and put back whereas with us we're going to get one shot at it in that possession, and then we're going to have we're going to have to go back and play defense. And that's, I think that that athletic difference is getting extra boards or extra possessions 
where a smaller team has to be very controlled in order to get the game at a pace that that score never gets too far away. And then when you start to put the screws to those teams that are maybe a little bit more depth of talent, but they're not used to being in those situations where they got to fight six picks in order to uh, get to the shooter, that's where the small teams can, can win. Like, you know, you've got a, a great one in Monmouth. Uh, even in conference, I say uh, not just Wichita State, but UNI taking down a very talented North Carolina team, though they were missing their leading scorer, one of their leading scorers, their shooter. But UNI, Coach Jacobson, is a great tactician where he got that to where the last possession of the game they had a chance to win. And that's all that any small school can ask for is when you're playing the big boy, you want to get into that last four-minute segment within a bucket or two so that you can have a chance um, at the end to, to steal it. Yeah, and that's what it puts all the pressure. Uh, yeah, you and I did Kansas with, uh, uh, I'm going to mess up his name, Arik Farukamash, Farukanesh. You know what I'm talking about, Vinny? You know what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm going to have to Google it. Yeah, too. yeah. Uh, they put I, yeah, I remember. Out a couple of years ago. But, uh and, and all the well, pressure goes to the big school, and, and they get tight. Yeah. When, it, when it does come down to that type of game, then all the pressure is on the favorite, and, you know, the, the underdog's been executing all night and building confidence all night that they, you know, they believe they can win. And, and being a fan of a big school, I hate that. I hate those. I, I want to put the game, get, get me the 20-point lead as, as quickly as possible because if you let these teams hang around, you give them, uh, you give them that shot. Well, that's, you know, that is the curse of the small team, too, is, you know, it's why you, uh, you know, we being in, in Evansville, you know, my fans are always clamoring, hey, why don't you get the big foot? Why don't you play Kentucky? Why don't you play Indiana? Why don't you play, you know, Louisville? I'm like, hey, if they answer the phone, we go play them. But there's no benefit for them. You know, we're going to give them a game that, you know, do you want to play us or do you want to play somebody that you know that you can put, you know, a 30-point win on? Or... You know, if you're going to – every chance, to, every time you play is a chance to lose, is this a team that you're willing to lose to? And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, especially with the bigger schools, they've got – they can buy in seven of their 11 non-conference teams. So they're never going to go on the road. Or if they're going to play somebody, they're going to play somebody that's in the top 25 or in the top 50. Uh, that's a name that if they lose, somebody goes, oh, you know what, they had an off night and it's okay. But if you play somebody who hasn't been to a tournament since, you know, the 90s and you lose to them or even have a close game, oh, the talk radio and all that stuff, you got to hear it for the next week until you finally, you know, lay another 50 on somebody and then, you know, they can finally look past it. But it's a, it's a tough balancing act. And um, having been on both sides of that, it's, uh, it's difficult. When I was at Oregon State trying to get, um, you know, teams to, to come in and, or, or who we wanted to play, you know, Oregon State would, you know, we'd get a call from Kansas and they'd say, hey, why don't you come out, play us, we'll play at a neutral site, which really isn't neutral, but play a, um, just <laughs> off campus, but still in Kansas City. Um, you know, give you $100,000, uh, but that's a chance for even another smaller Big Five school to go play. But, you know, when you're trying, you know, if Portland keeps knocking on the door saying, hey, can we come play you? Eh, you know what, there's really no benefit. If we lose to you, we got people in the backyard yelling at you. And if we win, we should have won. So it's um, it's tough. We keep asking the questions. You know, we'd love to – heck, we'd love to just come in, you know, get our check and, 
uh, have a chance to play in front of uh, Big Blue Nation because sometimes those games pay off at the end of the year. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's always a challenge. Well, we and our limited platform here, I'm going to campaign to bring the Evansville Purple Aces to Rupp Arena to play. I think that would be a great matchup. Uh, bringing in some folks from the other part of, of Kentucky and, and there in southern Indiana, let's campaign Vinny to bring Evansville to, to Rupp Arena. I think we need. I think we can do that. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, yeah, I got to say, and I'm, I'm, you know, not to speak out of turn, but you know, Coach Cal's staff, they, they consider us. We call them every year, um, and sometimes you know dates don't work, or you know they got to kind of see where we're at. But um, I, I give them a lot of credit. You know, they played Illinois State this past year. They are still – they're one of those programs that are willing to test themselves early in the year. And he's, he's you know, we, we, we try and call them. Uh, we've probably got a better chance playing them than we do, you know, uh, Coach Green up at IU. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, you guys can knock on the right doors. I'll keep, I'll keep giving calls around, and maybe we can show up at Rupp one of these days. Well, we McCarty. appreciate – Former cat, former yeah. cat, Walter McCarty is an Evansville native as well. Born in Evansville. Oh, oh yeah, great. no, Walter. Yeah, one of the greats. But I, I told your lovely wife, Mr. Spencer, I would only hold you for thirty minutes, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep to that. But thank you so much uh, for coming on and, and talking basketball, one of my favorite topics, and and, and talking about Evansville and, and kind of the path that you have traveled to get where you are. We certainly appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Uh, I wish uh, you and Big Blue Nation uh, good luck for the rest of the way, and uh, you guys have a great one. Happy holidays. You do the same. Happy holidays to you, and and beat Wichita State. All right. All right. We're there. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Mark Spencer, University of Evansville, AD. Great interview. And we got some perspective that we wouldn't normally get on the show, get some insight on Evansville's program. You already uh, had some ties and had some stories to exchange, and, and that was that was fun. Uh, and Mrs. Spencer was tweeting during the whole interview. Uh, she has followed the show, uh, already followed you, and y'all already had the bond. So uh, I'm I'm jumping in and getting acclimated and acquainted with everybody. But it was it was a whole lot of fun. Seriously, it it uh, it all started because of my bachelor tweets. That's that's how it got started. Uh, I didn't even know who, who she was uh, uh, until I wouldn't say fairly recently. But uh, she was like, "Oh yeah, you know, my husband's a Mark Spencer," and I said, "Oh, you know." And then we kind of talked about having him on, and I'm glad we're able uh, we're able to do that. Yeah, most definitely, and the. Um the Mojo Missy as well is connected. She said that she deserved a finder's fee for setting up all these connections. This was yesterday when we were just tweeting out that Mark was going to be a guest on the show. So I don't know if there's a story behind that as well, but she is in Evansville. Yes. She's a, she's a Kentucky fan, and that is how uh, Miss Spencer and I, we, we yeah. So, so Missy, yeah, that is correct. She gets a finder's fee. Uh, I don't know what that is, but you know, yes, definitely. <laughs> I, I, replied really, really to her yes- I replied to Missy yesterday 
um, from the show account, I just said, you know, let us get our wallet. So maybe that can hold her off for a while to maybe she comes up with a price or we dig up some money or everybody just kind of forgets about it or some semblance of all the above. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was fun for real. And thanks to you and Missy and Miss Lindsay Spencer and Mr. Mark Spencer, all of y'all for uh, running into each other and crossing paths, and that just made for a heck of a great couple of segments on the show tonight. Exactly. Exactly. We'll get a little break in. Um, and come back, talk a little bowl games, maybe the state of the SEC hoops, LSU beating Gardner-Webb 35-13 to 13 right now, uh, and talk a little bit of news from Miss TV's hometown of Cincinnati. Cincinnati was in the news, uh, Bengals news, Red news, we'll touch on both of those. Uh, on the other side, listen to Cat Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. You like it, you love it, place nothing above it. You give it, you live it, you want a ton of it. You need it, you feed it, you truly believe it. You try it, you buy it, it's messing you up. Long hair, dead stare, don't care, I'm not leaving your side. You try to get by, but you can't.
from the hills to the seven seas. Say you wanna be. Say you wanna be. Say you wanna be. Say you wanna. Say you wanna be.
she has become the the main event, and she's looking to to go down as one of, if not the best women's player ever. So I think you give her the nod. Uh, I, I I understand she fell short of the Grand Slam, but she came pretty close. And the way she was dominant, you know, even not even in the Grand Slam, I, I think you give her that nod. Uh, a lot of folks talking about how she looks, her pose on the, the cover of the magazine. Uh, my answer to that is uh, this is Sports Illustrated, and they still do the swimsuit issue. You know, she's not the first uh, female tennis player to, quote, unquote, use her sexuality. I'm like, Anna Kornikova. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, uh, uh, Bria I mean, Right. These are, are tennis players that are more known for their off the court who they're dating or what they're wearing being scantily clad. And Serena is, is, is whooping them. It's not even right. on right. the court. But you're going right. to say, oh, she's using her sexuality? Pump your brakes. I'm not giving it to the horse. I'm giving it uh, to Serena. Uh, that's my two cents on that. Yeah, that, that's that was where I came out, and all the uproar that you know she was getting, it, you know, it, and we're the biggest fans of American Pharaoh as anybody. You know, uh, you've been to several derby, you've been to Keeneland. I finally made it to Keeneland, uh, but yeah, she deserved it, and it was good she got it, and, and everybody just kind of calmed down. So, uh, you know, we had to insert that into the show uh, and hit on that for a minute or two. Moving to Cincinnati, you know all too well. You got the news that Pete Rose is going to continue to remain banned from baseball um, for gambling. He said he's got it under control now, but I mean, it's, it's, is Cincinnati himself giving up hope? Is Cincinnati still upset? I mean, we see him in real games, we see him at functions, we see him on Fox during the playoffs. Where, where? I mean, are you just tired of it? Should Pete give it up? Where do you come out on Pete Rose ordeal? Uh, Pete Rose, the the number one issue keeping Pete Rose out of baseball and out of the Hall of Fame is Pete Rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, when everything went down uh, in 1989, and he agreed to uh, the ban and, and everything like that, he steadfastly denied ever betting on baseball and betting on the Reds and, and stuck to that loudly and, and uh, frequently throughout almost two decades. Uh, It's pretty much like uh, Lance Armstrong, you know, Pete Rose only came clean to sell a book. That was it. And for my money, and I'm not a Cincinnati fan, He's, he's never really owned it. He's still hanging around casinos and, 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 and cashing in and everything like that. I, I think had he been more contrite a little bit sooner, I could see him getting in. But, but baseball, if nothing else, it's archaic. It's slow moving. They're not going to let him in. I didn't think they would with this most recent appeal. And he's not going to get in. A lot of uh, Reds fans I've seen uh, have these straw man arguments uh, 
uh, O.J. Simpson is in the Football Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, he's in there, but he's not. I've been to the Hall of Fame. I've walked the grounds. Ain't O.J. stuff anywhere. I mean, I think there's uh, football from his 2,000-yard season. That's about it. But that Mm. took place after his football days. And as crazy as it sounds, that did not have anything to do with the game. What Pete Rose did affected the game. That, and, and since the, the White Sox scandal of, you know, eight men out and way back when, the number one rule in baseball, the number one rule has been no gambling. That has been such a bedrock and was a bedrock for 60 years before Pete Rose started gambling. Any major league stadium and in the dugout, in the clubhouse, no gambling. None. And he did it anyway. Yeah. Then they talk about all the steroid users. Well, the steroid people aren't getting in either. I mean, Mark McGuire is getting 12% of the vote. Uh, I think the last 12 or 11%. So it's not like those guys are getting fast-tracked in. Palmero, Rafael Palmero's kind of fallen off the deep end. He's forgotten about. <laughs> so it's not as if people are rushing to put those guys in either. So uh, uh, to borrow from Pat Forty, Pete Rose made his bed. Okay. And, and just because he's older and, and you know, that, that window of, of him getting in, uh, is, is is closing. Um, you know, you 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 have to. You made your bed. You have to lie in it. Uh, there's there's consequences. And for 20 years, he basically called Major League Baseball and the commissioners, you know, cheats and liars and the Dowd report. This, and then for him to all of a sudden with a book to sell say, oh yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah, that doesn't jive with me. So I'm okay with him being out. Uh, he can he can be mentioned. Uh, I've got no problem with there being a, a display in Cooperstown with him and you know and his hits and all that. But he, to me, doesn't deserve that moment of, of, of induction. That's just my personal opinion. Right, right. and you mentioned the steroid guys, uh, Mark McGuire, and you know he's been a hitting coach. There's a couple of different places, and uh, I don't know if he's trying to re-clean up his image or whatever, but now Barry Bonds is doing the same thing. He's going to be a hitting coach for the Miami Marlins this year. So, um, I mean, I mean, these guys may never get in. They did what they did. But from just a coaching standpoint, to me, Barry Bonds hitting is, is I mean, the Marlins get all the help they can get. John Carl Stanton is a beast, and now Barry Bonds is going to be showing him the finer points of hitting. I, I mean that. His, I mean, as good as he is, I think he's really going to. I mean, if he soaks it up and, and learns just a few tricks from Barry, he's going to be something else to deal with because he's already a problem for pitchers now. And imagine getting coached up by Barry Bonds every day. Yeah, and, and and really the problem is, and 
Uh, we've seen this with, with Bo Ryan stepping aside at Wisconsin basketball. If the media likes you, you you get you've got an easier way to go. If you're friendly with the media and you've got a good story to tell and that you kind of get treated with kid gloves. Uh, I think, and this is me on a tangent, that Barry Bonds became the the bad boy, the poster boy for steroids, not so much for his numbers, but I remember an interview he had where he was basically talking about his goal wasn't really catching uh, Hank Aaron. It was to erase Babe Ruth from the record books. And we all know that the baseball writers and historians, you can't, speak negative about Babe Ruth. And from that point on, I think things kind of went downhill. So if you're a, a sports person, athlete, or a coach or whatnot, and you're friendly with the media, you get a pass. I think that's just how it works. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you're gruff and surly and all that, you know, you know, voting or whatever, if, you know, you don't get votes or MVP balloting, all-star voting, Hall of Fame voting, you know, sports writers can't hold a grudge. And we've seen that multiple times. Yeah, yeah. And, and baseball writers are weird anyway because nobody gets <laughs> in with 100% uh, right. in the Hall of Fame with 100%. That, that is the most ridiculous thing ever, but that's something they hold on to and they believe, and that's why – I really honestly didn't think that uh, Pete Rhodes really had a shot of getting in. Exactly. Um, we mentioned that we we're going to look at the bowl games and talk about them a little bit because, you know, we're, in a few days we're here. You know, it's the most wonderful time of the year with different highlights of all the bowl games. We talked about the college football playoffs last week, you know, the Final Four, what everybody's building up to and waiting on. And during the regular season, I watch as much college football as I can, especially all the SEC games I can. Um, stay up a little bit and start some of those West Coast games, try to peek at them. But then when the bowl season comes, I'm in and out on them. Uh, I don't – I mean, if it's on, I'm going to watch it or scroll and find the game. But it's not like as much must-see TV as it is when it – you know, Alabama, LSU, and, you know, Florida, Georgia, and so on and so forth. But what are some of the bowl games that no doubt we'll casually watch and no doubt there's some we'll make it a point to watch? What are some of the matchups from the slew of bowl games leading up to the playoffs that kind of caught your eye? Well, for me, I think the Las Vegas Bowl, uh, BYU versus Utah, that is – uh, as we kind of touched on with Mr. Spencer, that is a regional rivalry that is pretty darn intense. Uh, so I definitely will probably check that one out. Um, the Miami Beach Bowl, that's Western Kentucky versus South Florida. Uh, when their yeah. former coach, Willie Taggart, that is one I definitely want to watch uh, as well. I try to catch about one a day, you know, as they start really going. Uh, uh, that That's going to be a good one. Uh, I had another one, and and the thing about these bowl games, and we have kind of seen that from the Kentucky side. If it's not one of those big bowls, 
the team that really wants to be there is usually the team that wins. When you look at uh, when Rich Brooks was here in Lexington and uh, the first couple of bowl games, people were really, really excited. But then like the third Music City Bowl, it really wasn't quite that big a deal. And I'm not saying that the, the guys didn't play hard, but the enthusiasm for the fan base wasn't there. And, you know, I think that has a little bit of something to uh, to do with it. So those are the teams, that, those are the kind of things I like to look for in these bowl games. Like who really wants to be there? Who's, uh, you know, who's excited about it? Uh, now this big pinstripe bowl, Indiana and Duke. Yeah. Yeah, if that Yankee Stadium, it it might be uh, something to uh, something to see. Um, computer's going slow here, um, but I know I, I always love the Rose Bowl. Uh, that is one of my favorite bowls, just because of the it is the granddaddy of them all. So I like to check out that one. Uh, I'll probably check out the Music City Bowl just to see if a- Texas A&M can beat uh, Louisville. <laughs> uh, just to do that. Uh, the Citrus Bowl should be pretty good. Michigan versus Florida. Uh, yeah. yeah. Michigan on the way up. Florida kind of missing, you know, one of those top-tier bowls. Uh, and another one. Uh, outside of the the Rose Bowl, there on the first would be the Fiesta Bowl, uh, Notre Dame versus Ohio State, and um, they're going to have to take the roof off of University of Phoenix Stadium because of the egos of both of those fan bases. Uh, both of those <laughs> fan bases, you got the Ohio State versus Notre Dame and their touchdown Jesus. Whoa, the, the twelfth man on that field will be the ego of both fan bases. So that's going to be a fun one to watch uh, as well. Uh, I think Oklahoma State, Ole Miss, and the Sugar Bowl is going to be a shootout. Uh, I think the Rose Bowl itself is going to be a grinded-out game with Stanford and Iowa. Um, but I think those are those are the ones I'm kind of I'm kind of looking at outside of the uh, the big the, the final four games. Yeah, and. I said all that about, you know, I kind of watch the bowls. I don't, I don't, you know, if I miss one or two, I'm not as drawn to it as I'm doing the regular season, which I don't know, it's just kind of weird. And but then I went through the list, and then more games than I thought kind of jumped out to me. Um, some of the ones you mentioned uh, are, are intriguing, if you if you want to say that. Uh, Miami and Washington State, just just for the Mike Bleach factor alone to me, because he was up there, been at Washington State for a while, struggling and, and, and looking kind of bad. And next thing you know, this year they're 7-3 and three. Uh, at one point. Uh, Stanford, they had some good wins in, in conference in the Pac-12. Uh, so, He's got them to a bowl game, and you know they've been struggling for years, so that's that's good for them. Um, Tulsa and Virginia Tech, just because it'll be Frank Beamer's last game, uh, he was able to beat Virginia in the rivalry game uh, to get to six and 
six to get to a bowl game. They're going to be in the Camping World Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana, but it's still going to be one final game for Frank Beamer as he <clears throat> ends his tenure uh, at Virginia Tech. You mentioned um, uh, some of the SEC games, uh, Texas A&M and Louisville. Both teams probably look down their years than they thought they would have. Uh, it would be interesting to see that matchup. Two offensive-minded uh, teams that want to put a lot of points up. Um, Houston and Florida State kind of jumped out at me. Houston could score a lot of points and had a, a solid season. Tom Herman stayed there, but he's one of those coaches who everybody was is wanting to try to talk to or hope would maybe become available. For now, he's still at Houston. Not to say he won't continue to get advances and overtures from other schools, but he did a good job there. So, um, And then, you know, that kind of leads up to the rest of You mentioned Indiana Duke. Those two names, you know, the basketball schools playing in the bowl game. The Yankee Stadium deal, watching, watching games in baseball stadiums, that's always a little weird to me. Uh, I mean, it's been going on for a long time, but the Gale Sayers game against your 49ers, I hate to bring it up, where he scored six touchdowns. That was in Ricky Field. Uh, it's just a little bit weird seeing a football field crammed into the outfield and the infield uh, of a baseball game. But um, that might be intriguing as well. And North Carolina and Baylor, I think, play each other. And that one kind of stood out to me as well. But those are some of those that uh, caught our eye because here in the next couple of days, I think the 19th, it gets started, and like you said, you try to catch one today. It's going to be going for almost almost a month, January the 11th. You got a good solid three weeks uh, of bowl games and bowl season that's about to commence. And, and that's it is uh, the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, I understand, you know, the the playoffs and all that, and I think it's fine with the four. Uh, team setup they have right now, uh, but you do get these, you know, these teams get these extra uh, days of practice, uh, and these guys, uh, kind of like uh, Mr. Spencer talked about, you get that experience of going to a bowl game, and there's parades, and these communities really, really rally around these bowl games. Uh, a lot of them, uh, especially the ones that have been around for a while, are really, really ingrained into the community. Uh, so I think it's a good thing. Uh, and that's that's why I watch. And you get these kind of weird matchups that with uh, college football you don't usually see. I mean, Indiana and Duke, yeah, that'll happen in basketball. You'll see that. But here, football, okay, that's that's interesting. Uh, UCLA, Nebraska, okay, that's a that's a matchup that you you know you don't usually see. So I, I think that's one reason I like the the bowl system. Uh, probably they can cut down on the bowls a little bit, but. Um, you know, that's, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> right. Definitely. Um, and, you know, before we about put the finishing touches on this, um, everything past 8, which is 8.01 now, will be up on the podcast, blogtalkradio.com slash cats talk. This episode, as well as all 57, 58 others that we have, we're knocking on 60 episodes of doing this show together. Uh, you can get all that there at blogtalkradio.com or uh, iTunes, and then you go. You can check our Facebook page and our Twitter page, and we'll tweet out links to the show as well. Uh, 
But definitely got to say congratulations. We mentioned him talking to Jen Smith, uh, to Jordan Smith from Harlan, Harlan County, the town of Harlan, Kentucky, who won the voice last night. Uh, it was the finals. Uh, there were four competitors, Jordan and three others. And uh, it came down to him and Emily Ann Roberts, who was from Knoxville. So uh, the Knoxville News Channel was giving love to both. They would send reporters up to Harlan, and, of course, they had coverage for her because she was born and raised in Knoxville. Um, and it came down to the two of them, and Jordan won it. But, I mean, he was pretty much good dude. Once he auditioned and got the chairs turned, he was must hear, must see television. Um, didn't matter what he was singing, what type of song. You know, he was he was knocking it out of the park. Um, you know, it it was just a, a tough act for a lot of others to follow. I tweeted out last night that you know Jordan Smith played like MJ because he denied the other three a chance to win the title because in any other year those other three were good enough to win, but not with him in the mix this year. The other ones were good, but he was just on a whole different level throughout the entire show. At, at this point, I'm expecting the next president of the United States to come out of Harlan County. Since we've been doing this show, uh, every week almost, you are you have pulled somebody from somewhere in Harlan County out, whether it's Freddie Maggard or we've had Renee Fournette on or Jordan Smith, or this person or that person. It's Harlan County. I thought, when I had this discussion with Miss TB, I said, here I am in Louisville, and I can't pull out anything. Vinny's always got these little tidbits and uh, people to know from Harlan County, and I got nothing from Louisville. I'm sitting here in the big city, nothing. And you got all these people from Harlan County. And before I, talk, I, I met you, I didn't even know anybody from Harlan County. But all of a sudden... I, you know, and I'm going to football games, and I'm meeting people from Harlan County. Freddie Maggard said, oh, yeah, this is so-and-so and so-and-so. Hey, Harlan County, they are running the state right now. The rest of us, the other 119 counties, are just trying to keep up with Harlan County right now. <laughs> and, I mean, and it's, it's not like I'm reaching. It's just noteworthy stuff, you know. We talk about football. Freddie's there. Freddie, Freddie's all over Kentucky radio. I mean, you know, KSR, Leach Report, Monday morning quarterback with Tom. He's everywhere. Me from where I'm from. Uh, Eddie Treats now is the coach of the Harlan County Black Bears. So, you know, known him. He's younger than I am. Watch him grow up and play ball in eighth grade. Watch him win a county championship in basketball as an eighth grader. Uh, my dad and his dad know each other since before we were born. Uh, my first job at a bank was I worked with his mom. She was at the Cumberland Branch out in Harlan. Just, just little stuff kind of the way it works out. Randy Childers makes all the cake pops and, and made the cake, duplicate cake of the 2012 Dash Championship Trophy. It, it's just no worthy stuff. It's not, you know, I'm, it's just the way it is right now, and I, I'm not trying to, but it's just, Getting good conversation because this stuff is, is kind of pertinent. It's kind of happening. That's it don't mean to shove it down your throat, but it's, it's you know. I apologize. I apologize. 
All right. Well, I'm I'm, I'm glad for Harlan County. In in in, in, in all seriousness, anything that brings some good uh, publicity and some good feelings to uh, anybody from or, or to the Commonwealth of Kentucky, that's a that's a good thing. That's a win-win. Uh, you know, there's not a lot out there that's that's necessarily positive about Kentucky, so it is right. good to uh, get some good things. Uh, in the news, and, and George Smith, deserving winner. Uh, my hope is that uh, at so, in some capacity he's he's here in Louisville uh, during the Derby Festival, whether he's Grand Marshal or something. I'd like to see him make the rounds uh, for that. So definitely a good thing yeah. uh, for for Kentucky. That's definitely a good idea, for sure. Uh, before we get out of here, we got to close with the Warriors. We haven't mentioned it yet. They finally dropped the game uh, Friday night in Boston. No, I'm sorry, Saturday in Milwaukee. But a lot of people want to give kudos to the Celtics. You know, took them to double overtime. Uh, they had to fight and work to overcome Avery Bradley and all the rest of the Celtics who were primed and ready to take them down. Um, got to Milwaukee Saturday, and uh, the Bucks ended the streak, the undefeated streak, much like they ended the Lakers' 1972 streak where they won 33 in a row. Two streaks, you know, 43 years apart. Uh, but, you know, 24-0 was just unreal. They play again tonight at 1030. They play in the Phoenix Suns at home, so you get to see all the UK guys go up against Steph and company. Uh, Bledsoe and Booker and uh, Archie and Brandon Knight and all those guys. But uh, this will be the first home game since they suffered that loss on Saturday. But, I mean, what a, what a run they, they did to start the season in which they're defending their title. And, and that's the, the toughest thing with the NBA uh, yes, they had that double overtime game, but I think this was their seventh road game. Uh, and you just you, you get you get ground down a little bit, and, and that happens. Twenty four and one, you're still in the driver's seat. Uh, as, as you know, on Twitter, things kind of get magnified, and and you know, twenty four and one still pretty good. I mean, you know, yes. <laughs> Uh, Milwaukee, you know, broke the streak and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, but it's still a very, very good good number to get to. You know, and that's my point of view on last year's Kentucky team. Yes, we didn't get the ultimate prize, but 38-1, that is ridiculous for a major college team to win 38 straight games. That is ridiculous. When you look at all the yeah. kind of near misses that you have to do, and in the NBA, 24 straight, that's that's a lot. That's a that's a streak, and that really puts that 33 game winning streak of the Lakers that you talked about in the '72 season puts that in perspective. That's a long time. I mean, uh, the NBA season tips off, you know, right around Halloween, and here we are a week from Christmas, and they finally lost. That's that's a that's a long time. That is, you know, that that's a lot uh, to have to keep going. Uh, I think 
you know, to me, it's still on the board. I, I think they can still, if they want to, if they stay focused, they can give the 96 Bulls and that 72 and 10 record. I, I think they can, they can get to it. Um, but again, it's all about, uh, you know, how do you handle those back to backs, those road, uh, those road swings, and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, that's that's where it starts to get tough on you. Yeah, and I. I was hoping they would finish road trip seven and zero. That's never been done, and to, to come that close to win the first six and then lose at Milwaukee. Uh, I mean, you knew eventually they're going to lose uh, and drop some games, but I was hoping they could at least get one more, just to to be the first team. They already made a bunch of history as it is. To be the first team to go seven and zero on a road trip would have been cool to see too, since it's never been done. Well, and and remember, there's a lot of teams uh, that have weird road trips. You know, the Lakers always have that seven, eight game, two and a half week road trip around the Grammys uh, in March, February, March. Because uh, Staples Center is used for that, and then uh, San Antonio, they have that rodeo uh, road trip where they are gone for almost two weeks, you know, playing seven or eight games. Uh, those are where it gets tough, where you're not home and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and, and Golden State just got tripped up. There's not a whole lot uh, you can say about it. They're 24-1. They're still firmly in the driver's seat, and they'll probably rattle off another double-digit uh, win streak once they start tonight. Yeah, that's, that's I tweeted that out. Just the, one of those little polls on Twitter well, what will their next streak be? And I put five to seven, eight to ten, ten to twelve, or twelve or more games, just just for something fun to to see. And, but yeah, uh, they just finished a, a grueling road trip, so they're gonna have some home games and uh, not as extensive of road trips when they go on the road again. So yeah, you can easily see them string together. A nice little streak again. They'll get Harrison Barnes back. Uh, Clay Thompson missed one game and then played, but yeah, you can you can see that definitely happening again. Uh, maybe I don't know, multiple double-digit streaks or you know a ten-gamer and then another eight-gamer, something like that. They're just hot and they'll definitely roll up and 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 I mean the West isn't what it's supposed to be or what it's cracked up to be either. Uh, outside Spurs and Thunder. Everybody else is just kind of hovering around 13 and 10, 11 and 12, that kind of stuff. Nobody's really, uh, as Reggie Miller said, cream rises. Nobody's really got it rolling just yet. So, and the Warriors are still just humming right along. So, yeah, they'll they'll be streaking again, and we'll be talking about another uh, big Warriors win streak before we know it. Well, a lot of that has to do with people putting stock in the Clippers, which I told you that was a bad bill of goods. The Clippers of the Clippers will be the Clippers. But I'm not going to go on that tangent. But that's part of it is the Clippers are, are not going to be very good. Yeah, and neither are the Rockets. I could start that again this week or next week. Bernie, uh, J.D. Biggestaff is, uh, compared to what Kevin McHale has done, has got things turned around. I did a piece on that on CameronMillsRadio.com. Um 
going into Saturday's game, he was seven and five. Uh, and then they beat the Lakers, so that moved to eight and five after the four and seven start. Uh, still having problems beat teams they're supposed to beat. Uh, you look at the Denver Nuggets and the Brooklyn Nets, and Houston has five losses from those two teams alone, and neither one of those teams are going anywhere. They lost three, all three games to the Nuggets. They've lost both games to the Nets. Season series with the Nets is over. They got swept by the Nets. Um, lost to the Kings last night. Uh, the Kings are playing a little bit better. Started off one and seven. Now they're playing about five hundred. But you still should beat the Kings. So that's that's six games right there. Even if you go three and three, your record is a whole lot better. You go four and two, five and one, like you should against them. You know, considering you were a Western Conference runner-up last year, it's a different story. But still got defensive issues, and you know you just lose the inferior teams and. That's going to come back to bite you in the backside at some point in time throughout the year. And my Lakers won. My, my and, Lakers and won. I want to ask they, they, they beat, you too. Uh, Kobe is, is kind of sitting and reducing his minutes, and then Russell was playing a lot. Did you? Are you surprised to see that? I'm a I'm a little surprised, but. Uh, I, I think a little bit of pride is, is coming into play, and Kobe's realizing that those 30 minutes, those 35 minute nights, are not the best way to, to go out. And he's, he's having a little bit of pride and in, in, in letting the young guys flourish uh, because that's going to be the core to kind of take them into the uh, post Kobe years. Let uh, Russell, let Randall. Uh, let uh, Clarkson, some of those guys, uh, get out there and, and play, and, and Kobe can fa- still facilitate. Uh, now, whether that's going to translate into more wins, I don't know, but um, I don't think it can hurt things. Definitely. So, we'll see how it all plays out. We'll be talking NBA playoffs before we know it. Right now we got bowl games to talk about and college football playoffs around the corner. This Saturday, we got Kentucky and Ohio State up in Brooklyn. Uh, our good friends Cameron Mills and Johnny Pittman are going to be there, as well as a bunch of UK alumni people and whoever else takes up invitations to go to Jack Dempsey's in Manhattan. So that is going to be fun. Uh, no doubt, we'll talking about the Mills show, talking about it on the show Saturday as they host the show from the Big Apple. So a lot of fun stuff going on there. And then you got the game against the Buckeyes. Saturday afternoon, uh, and we'll be talking about every last bit of that this time next week. Definitely, and, and thanks again to Jen Smith of the Herald Leader, uh, Mark Spencer, AD of the University of Evansville, uh, Purple Aces, Aces, Aces. Thanks for for stopping by and and, and talking uh, with us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, appreciate you coordinating everything with Mark Spencer. And we will get your stuff from Wildcat Nation up on all of our various forms of social media on the Facebook page, on the Cast Talk Wednesday show page. Uh, check both of us out on CameronMillsRadio.com. I got a piece brewing tonight. Going to give a little love to Harlan County and Jordan Smith. But uh, 
Uh, we also have some more Kentucky basketball pieces as well. I wrote a piece recently comparing the three-point shooting of this year's team after 10 games to the 2010 team after 10 games. And I was a little surprised when I did that math. Uh, the idea came to me during the Arizona State game, and I, I knew Kentucky was struggling from three. And in the second half, I was rooting for them to hit some more threes because I thought the percentage would be closer. But the 2010 team had a considerable edge after 10 games. You can check that out on CameronMillsRadio.com, uh, as well as everything TV rights on there and Wildcat Blue Nation. Uh, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen and tweet us and, and all the fun stuff you do for our show. And we have fun trying to bring it to you each and every Wednesday. So thanks again, TB. Thanks to all the guests that you mentioned. Hope everybody has a good evening. Uh, got a little NBA to watch. Going to try to catch a little bit of the Warriors tonight uh, against UK West in the Phoenix Suns. And we'll see everybody this time next week on Cat's Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Have a good evening, everybody. We'll talk to y'all next week. <laughs>